Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 29, and uh, we'll go through verse 33 this morning. And he, this is Jesus, told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and you know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My dad and I took our two boys this week, uh, Abel and Tev. Put your hands in the air, guys. Yeah. We went camping, and we went to Fort Ransom and, uh, and spent a couple nights there. You remember that storm at the beginning of the week? We endured that um, in the Cheyenne River bottom. It was pretty insane. Uh, but as we were driving home from that camping trip, I was struck by, by something. Uh, we did a lot of hiking, and, uh, and, and we saw a lot of life. And I was struck by just how rarely that is a talking point for us. How much life we see around us and how regularly we see that life transition and change around us. If you go to a news website with any regularity, you'll oftentimes stumble across a story about how some distant planet uh, has the conditions that are right for life. But it isn't, uh, isn't it interesting that we sit amongst all of this life in here in North Dakota and we rarely think about it. Every square foot, every square foot with plants and insects and bacteria in, our, in the soil, snakes and frogs and rodents running through all of it, deer running through it, hopping through it, all of this life around us. And we go to this news website and see that the conditions are right for life at some distant planet, light years upon light years away, and we're enamored by that thought. Well, right in front of us, everything is teeming with life. This is much like Jesus' encouragement to the disciples in this short parable. You and I can drive through North Dakota right now. Right now, if you got in your car and drove through North Dakota, you could see the season we're in. You could see very clearly that summer is drawing to a close, that harvest is near. We're on the doorstep of, of harvest. The mornings are a bit cooler. The days are a bit shorter. The air is a bit drier. We don't need to look at the calendar to guess what time of year it is. What we can observe all around us indicates to us that this is the case, that harvest is close, that the fall is right around the corner. We can read the signs and we know what season is next. Similarly, similarly, Jesus tells his disciple to look at the his disciples to look at the signs around them and to be and to be aware. That the kingdom of God is near. 
It's good to note here in Luke chapter 21 that these five verses that we're talking about this morning are embedded within a larger discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it comes at the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Luke chapter 21, it contains the whole of it. Um, and, and the reality of this is that this, Jesus is saying these words on the Tuesday, likely, before he would be crucified on Friday. So this is the Tuesday before Good Friday when he's speaking these words to his disciples. Likely just in 48 hours, Jesus would be, would be in the midst of being tried, betrayed, tried. All of these events that would lead up to his crucifixion were now set in motion. The theme of the Olivet Discourse is simple. It's the end times, or it's what to expect when Jesus is no longer here on earth. These words are spoken to his disciples because he wanted them to be very clear on what was coming, on what was coming their way. Before we dive in, though, and explore these five verses, just I want to openly acknowledge with you this morning that whenever we talk about the final things, end times, whenever we talk about and we begin to use those words, we need to be aware that they're difficult. A lot of Christians pour a lot of energy and time and effort into understanding texts like this, and that's good, but... We must not forget the simple biblical principles that help us understand better what Jesus is saying here. A simple biblical principle that we oftentimes need to apply to a text like this is don't major on the minors. Don't major on the minors. Consider what Jesus does tell us and what we do know in this passage. That's going to be the way that our time takes shape this morning. We shouldn't try and predict Jesus' return based on what Jesus says. We shouldn't, we shouldn't claim that the things that are going on in our world right now represent an event or a series of events that are the tipping point into eternity. Rather, we should read this text and seek to understand Jesus' intent. So this morning, three points, three things to consider Uh, that Jesus is communicating to his disciples. These will be our points, our main ideas this morning. The first is this. The signs of the time are evident. The signs of the time, the times are evident. The second thing is that Jesus is near and is coming soon. And the third thing this morning is that Jesus is God and his word will endure Forever. Jesus is God and his word will endure forever. Consider with me that first item there. You see it on the screen. The signs of the times are evident. This is what Jesus is saying when he points out the fig tree and all of the trees. That when the buds come out on the tree, you know that summer is near. This is a sign of the times. This is simple. It's a simple concept. We all get this. You don't need a PhD in forestry to get this. And we would do well to note just how simple Jesus' words are here. 
Before we get to verse 29 in, in this passage, a lot of things have come up. Jesus has, has told his disciples about a lot of things that are going to take place. One of the things he talks about is the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. That's about 50 years, a little bit less than 50 years after Jesus was speaking these words to his disciples. Jesus also talks about the persecution coming to those who follow him, mainly his disciples. All of his disciples would experience intense persecution. Some of them would have been martyred for their faith. Jesus tells them about men and women who will be given up by their own family members because of what they believe. He tells them that some of these will even be killed. And then Jesus tells them about his second coming. He tells his disciples about his return. He hasn't even left the first time. He's telling them about his second coming. In verse 27, he says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What do we know about all of this stuff that Jesus talks about at the beginning of chapter 21 in the book of Luke? Well, we do know that some of it happened, like the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. We have a clear date for that, uh, AD 70. And we also know that some of it is yet to happen. Like verse 27, Jesus' return has yet to happen. We have not yet experienced the second coming of Jesus. And we also know that some of it is ongoing. Persecution, calamities, war, all of these things are ongoing in, in our world. And so we have to have all of this in mind as Jesus says these words in these five short verses. We have to have all of these things in mind. Because I think sometimes we're prone to think, when we look at the world around us, we're prone to think something along the lines of, surely God is wrapping all of this up, right? It's been a couple thousand years, that's, that's a long time. That, that's not what the, the Bible says. The Bible is largely silent on the when. But here is what we are told. The Bible says, first, that you need to understand the signs which indicate that this is all coming to a close. You need to understand them. The Bible also says that you need to live in such a way that indicates that the end is coming. And the Bible also says you need to know that we don't know the timing of it. Oftentimes I hear people muse about or think on the idea, but things are so much worse in our world than they were a decade ago or two or three decades ago. That may be, I don't know. And even if we had a way of proving that, Jesus' point isn't that things when they worsen or get better is indicating anything other than things are drawing to a close and we don't know the time of it. And we say, okay, but look in verse 32. Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples here. So what do we make of this? Does this mean that things are pretty close to done? Again, I don't know. The Bible isn't clear on it. What Jesus means here is that 
by this phrase is there will always be those who stand in opposition to what God is doing through his people here on earth. And so from generation, a generation that would persecute, kill, and destroy the things that were surrounding Jesus' followers and Christ's followers themselves here in in the disciples' generation, those people have they have those who stand in agreement and act similarly in our generation. Throughout the centuries, there will be those who identify with the generation that persecuted Christians in the first century. That's not hard to see. It's not hard to see that there are those in our world who loathe the gospel, who hate Jesus. It's not difficult to see. Those are the men and women who stand in solidarity with those who would persecute and kill followers of Jesus in the first century. In history, there will always be sinful people who, in their depravity, stir up all sorts of trouble against followers of Jesus. And these are the signs that indicate we are in a season where the kingdom of God is near. We can be sure that we are in the times that Jesus is describing here in these five verses. We can be sure that we are in that season. Just as when the leaves come out on the trees, it means summer is coming, the signs happening all around us signal the season. So the question is, in more detail, what's the season we're in? That's the second point this morning. The season we're in is one where Jesus is near and is coming soon. Jesus is near and coming soon. Look at verse 31. This is what he says. So also, when you see these things, all those things that we just talked about, all those signs that that Jesus indicates in the first part of Luke 21, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, when he says the kingdom of God is near, he means he is near. Jesus, the second coming. Just like what he says in verse 27. You will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. By saying the kingdom of God is near, this means Jesus is near. His second coming is near. He's close. He himself, Jesus Christ, he's near. When you travel with little kids, uh, I'm always reminded when I was a kid just how long a, a road trip seemed, even one that's relatively short. My grandparents lived about 80 miles away from us when we were growing up, and that trip felt like an eternity. Now 80 miles isn't, it's not a big deal. But as a kid, 80 miles in the car felt like a really long time. I just wanted to be there. Let's just get there. Are we there yet? Similarly, our hearts long for Jesus' return. And sometimes for us, it feels like it's a long ways off. Right? It feels like it's a long ways off. Like a child in the back seat of a station wagon on the way to grandma's. It feels like this season that we're in right now will never be over. This season is extended for a while. It's extended for 2,000 years. And I don't know how much longer it will extend. Again, that's not information that's given to us. But it will be over soon. 
Because what we're comparing this season to is eternity. The kingdom of God is near. And when we're a few millennia into eternity, we'll see that he was near the whole time. None of us will say he was far off. None of us will say he was, he was a long ways away. He's near even now. And he promises that he will right all the wrongs. The time is very close when we will all see and hear what the Apostle John saw and heard in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is near. This is near to us. Andrew Peterson, a Christian storyteller and songwriter, wrote a song a while ago called After the Last Tear Falls. The verses go like this. After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last year that's just too hard, there is love. After the last disgrace, after the last lie to save some face, after the last brutal jab from a poisoned tongue, after the last dirty politician, after the last meal down at the mission, after the last lonely night in prison, there is love. After the last plan fails, after the last siren wails, <clears throat> after the last young husband sails off to war, after the last this marriage is over, after the last young girl's innocence is stolen, after the last years of silence that won't let a heart open, there's love. The destruction, the despair, the calamity, the war, the sin, the fear, the sickness, the death. The time is near when these things will be behind us. But for now, we trust what Jesus says here. We trust what he says in verse 31. And what we observe around us is given to us to indicate that he is in fact near. He says it with his own words in Revelation 22.20. He says, surely I'm coming soon. And what do we know about what he says? What do we know about his word? That's the third point of this text. We find it here in verse 33. Jesus is God, and his word will endure forever. Jesus, what he says in verse 33 is so vital to our entire understanding of Luke chapter 21 and everything that he said up until this point in the Gospels. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
Jesus is telling his disciples about the persecution that they will face. How can he say something like verse 18 where he says, But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. How can he make that claim? God will work in us endurance. God will work in us perseverance. If you're in Christ, if you're joined together with Jesus Christ, you won't be forgotten and you won't fall away. And this promise is for you no matter what comes your way. Not a hair on your head will perish. And you will, by the grace of God, endure suffering and receive eternal life. No matter what you face, the bad opinions of men, the loss of relationships with friends or family members, the threat of bodily harm, the threat of death, and everything in between, God will not allow a hair of your head to perish. And how can Jesus promise this? How can Jesus say that? This is audacious. It's because of what he says in verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus' words will not pass away. There's only one way that that can be true. And if that's, that's if Jesus is God. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The only way that Jesus' words will not pass away is if he is God. And friends, he is. And so this parable then is designed not to be a discouragement, not to take inventory of all the bad stuff that's going on in the world. We all know about that. I don't have to tell you about that this morning. You know about the garbage that's happening in our world. This isn't meant to be a freak-out text. It's not, it's not meant to stir up in us anxiety. Rather, it's meant to be an encouragement. Jesus is preparing his disciples, the men that would go out and take the gospel to the communities around them, who were going to die when they spoke the good news to men and women in various, in various towns surrounding the area. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's no longer going to be with them. So this is Tuesday. Friday, he's crucified. He goes to the ground, comes back on Sunday, but then he has about 40 days and then he ascends into heaven. This is like six weeks. He's preparing them for what's happening after this six-week period because things are going to get really crazy really quick. His disciples need to be reminded that Jesus is God, and we need to be reminded of this as well. His disciples needed to know that they would see all of these things, these crazy things happen before their lives ended. And when they saw these things happen, when they saw Jerusalem lay in ruins, or they saw the death of the men who stood to their left and their right as Jesus spoke these words, they needed to know that Jesus was near and hadn't forgotten about them. This isn't an indication that Jesus' words were unreliable when things lay in ruins and their brothers lay dead next to them. It wasn't an indication that Jesus' words were unreliable. Rather, Jesus says, 
his words will not pass away. The war and the persecution and the suffering and everything that was happening was happening to remind them that he would sustain them through his word. And he'll do the same for us. So this morning in conclusion, as we move towards the Lord's Supper, here's how or what we should take away. There's a simple admonition that flows directly out of the truth of the gospel. The only way that Jesus is near is if he's alive, and he is. He's ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand, and he is near to us even in this very moment. And so the admonition that flows out of it, it comes from what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. You know this passage. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so the admonition, the takeaway is this. Rejoice, be reasonable, fight anxiety, and pray. Simple. Because it feels like right now in our world, there's a lot to be anxious about. Some people want to deny it. Come on. Be reasonable. Global pandemic, economic instability, polarized political climate, racial injustice, fake news, spread of misinformation, general outrage in the comment section on every North Dakota Department of Health Facebook post. Don't get hung up on the words I just said. Don't get hung up on the words I just said. Your opinions about those things aren't what I'm talking about. People in churches all over the place are being divided over over these things. The point, rather, is no matter what your opinion is about those things, there seems to be quite a bit to be anxious about. Jesus knew that his disciples were going to experience a lot of hardship really quickly after his ascension. And he knows that we experience a lot of things that seem out of our control. And friends, they are. Let's just own it. They're out of our control. But Jesus wants his followers to know through what he says in verse 33 that none of it is out of his control. The hairs on our heads, if you are in Christ, the hairs on our heads are not being threatened. They will endure. We and his disciples and every faithful believer who's come in between us will endure all that comes our way. And so what does Paul say? He says, rejoice. Let others see your reasonableness. Don't be anxious and pray. For you and I, and for the church that Paul wrote these words to, And to the disciples that Jesus spoke these words to, what is the basis for doing those things? The Lord is at hand. Jesus is near. And so friends, the nearness of Jesus is the exact reason Christians can rejoice. When there seems to be nothing to rejoice about, and the nearness of Jesus is exactly the reason the, the, the Christians can be reasonable. 
toward everyone when it seems like the world has gone mad. The nearness of Jesus is the exact reason Christians don't need to be anxious, even when everything seems uncertain and out of control. The nearness of Jesus is the exact reason Christians call, can, can pray and call upon the Lord. Because we know that He bends His ear toward us when we call upon Him. Friends, the Lord is at hand. And as we go and celebrate together the Lord's Supper this morning, Friends, I want you to be sure that the Lord is at hand. And that which is promised to us in these moments, that which is promised to us in what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 21, is promised to us and we're reminded of when we eat the Lord's Supper together. A broken body, a body that was, that was sinless, it was perfect, and it was broken on our behalf. Our sinful flesh deserved to be broken for the sin that, was contained within it, and Jesus acted as our substitute. The, the blood that flowed from his wounds on his hands and feet and his side, the blood that was rightfully ours, that should have flowed from, from our very body, is the blood that we drink this morning. It reminds us of the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is good news that we're about to participate in. We're about to see so clearly this pictured before us that gives us hope and gives us the ability to, with great confidence, be encouraged by the truth that Jesus is near. Just a little while longer, friends. We will be sitting around a table feasting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. 